0: hey guys we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in check back weekly to stay up to date with what god is doing here in the life of our church to learn more information you can find us online at sturkey.church our prayer here at the church at sturkey hills is that you are moved by this message guys thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week I would you to open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8, find Psalms, go left about three books, you'll hit Nehemiah, it's a great book, that's where we're at. We've been studying it for several weeks and just like that video depicted, God writes this amazing story that extends from eternity past until eternity future. It's all in- included And it's all included in this book, and it's why it's so important that you are students of the book. If you are a child of God, if if Jesus has come in and rescued you and given you a new birth, and the Holy Spirit of God has, has sealed you so he can call you his own, then you need to be students of his word. You need to be in it. You need to read it. You need to read it slowly, regularly. You need to be thoughtful when you read it and see what it is that God has for you. Now, I, tell, I say this all the time, and I'll tell you because somebody told me, and it helped me immensely, and that is this. When you're reading and you just don't seem to get anything out of it, don't worry about it. There's something there. Your eyes have not been opened yet to receive it. So you just keep reading, and then all of a sudden, this little truth will pop out. That you've never seen before and it will rock your world. And as those little jewels, those little pieces of the puzzle begin to click, begin to fall into place, become to be illuminated, all of a sudden it starts painting a picture. And as you read more than things that you read in the past will now make sense because now you have the thing that unlocks the other part of the puzzle. So don't give up when studying God's Word. Now, in the book of Nehemiah, it's an amazing story about God uh, uh, doing a mighty work in His people, the nation of Israel. You see, in all of God's timeline, He introduced Himself to mankind through a particular people group, and it is the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. And they had rebelled and walked away from God's word and from his truth, and, and God allowed them to be taken into captivity. <clears throat> They've been in captivity for years. And then there's a man who is cupbearer to the king, just a, a civil servant who was a Jew who had worked his way through the ranks and become the food taster for the king that meant they would give him the food and the wine and if he survived it was fit for the king and so in the middle of him living a wonderful comfortable life in Susa the resort center for the rich and famous God sent somebody from the Jewish people into his world and it rocked his being and God called him and birthed in him a vision to go back and be a part of the restoration of the nation of Israel So what God told Nehemiah, I want you to be responsible, I want you to look after building the wall around the nation, around the city of Jerusalem again, because that's where the temple is. And and, and we talked about it, it wasn't just a physical wall, it was a spiritual thing. It was God uh, driving his stake in the ground saying, listen, I still have my hand upon this people, I'm still doing great things in their life, through this people will come the Messiah, and it made a statement to the world that God is still alive. Now, these people now have been delivered from bondage. They have been, uh, they, they have now not just had a physical freedom that they're living in Jerusalem again protected by a fortified wall, but also they, uh, they had spiritual freedom. They recognize, hey, God is alive again. This thing that we heard about from our ancestors, that the true and living God of the ages, the one who whispered everything, he is among the people doing great things. They had heard about it never experienced it. Now, all of a sudden, this thing that other people have talked about has become real to them. They had a spiritual awakening. Now, what do you do? When you're freed, when you've been liberated from the bondage of sin, spiritually, you've been liberated from the bondage of physical addiction or whatever it is, and you're a new creature in Christ today. What do we do? Well, there is a link that links us to the freedom that we've just experienced. And often in the church, we talked about two weeks ago, it is the missing link. And we don't want it to be the missing link. So the missing link is this book. And that's what we're going to see. We saw it two weeks ago. We're going to see it again today. Tell your neighbor you need to be in the book. Just tell them. You need to start today. You need to get in the book. Now, see, if I just said it to you, it's just the preacher talking. But the person next to you told you two. That's two witnesses, so you need to be in the book. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, we talked about the first point of the message in the very beginning of chapter 8. We have to have an active appetite for God's Word, an active appetite for God's Word. Now, the Bible says this is how hungry they were for the Word of God. They had finished the wall, and, and so often it, when we celebrate some great accomplishment with God, we take our big old in and we just sit down and say, boy, I'm there. We did it. Man, let's just celebrate. Let's just bask in the greatness of accomplishment. Let's just sit right here and enjoy this sweet season. That is so not God. God allows us to experience great accomplishments, not so we can sit down, but so we can move forward to prevent ourselves from moving back. You see, I say it all the time. There is no such thing as stagnant Christianity. You are either actively pursuing God or you are actively moving away from God. You can't stay in one place. So if you're not pursuing God, you're moving further away. And for the nation of Israel, God was saying, it's not time to sit down. It's time to move forward. Now, what would you do? <clears throat> How do you move forward after such a great thing has happened in your life? It's the same when you get saved. It's the same when any God does anything great in your life. You press on. You lean in. You dig deeper into his word. And you develop an appetite for the word of God. Now, I was blessed to get to go to Brazil last week. Rachel and I and a team went over there to build a church. We went over there to build a church, and a preacher goes to a foreign country. They think you ought to preach all the time. So I did. You get over there and you find out they want you to baptize people. They want you to do communion. They want you to play a guitar. Whatever the American can do, let's do it. Okay? And so that's what we did. Praise Jesus. I loved it. I loved it. Had the best mission trip, honestly, best mission trip I've ever been on. It's incredible. Now, here's the thing. The appetite for the Word. Let me tell you what the appetite for God's Word looks like. We built a church over there, finished it, that would seat comfortably, realistically, about 100 people. We put 125 chairs in it, and about 150 people showed up. Why? Because we were in Campo Largo of the state of Piauí, of the nation of Brazil. The population of that little town and surrounding areas, uh, five to 7,000 people, I think they said. <clears throat> and it's about 1% to 2% Christian. Hmm. So there's not much Word of God. You take the Word of God into a place where they've never heard it, it is like a beacon shining into their world. And so they want to know more about it. So we went visiting, and we would go door to door and, and in the afternoons while we were building this church. And then when it came time for the celebration service, man, they, sh- they didn't show up by themselves. They brought friends. They brought fam- family. They brought neighbors. They're telling us, will you come back tomorrow and tell our neighbors? Because we, we want you to tell them what you told us. I long for us to be that people. I long for this church to be a people who gives a flip about a world that's dying, lost in their sin, going to an eternal hell because we don't tell them about Jesus. I want to be that people. And it may be that I had to spend more time over in Brazil, Rachel. I don't know. Okay? It's up to you whether or not you'll become that people. Because so often we let days, weeks, months, and years go by and never share the truth that has liberated us from the bondage of the enemy and set us eternally free in Jesus' name. And we just hold, we hoard it, we hang on to it like it's not to be shared. So what else does an appetite look like? You'll love this one. The worst streets I've ever seen in my life. They're cobblestone streets. You say, oh, those are kind of cool. They're not cool on a bus. We drove every day 100 miles to make 60 miles of distance. You say, what's that talking about? This is how you have to go, dodging potholes. That's how, that's how you drive the bus. And we're shaking and jarring every day. So I want you to know what the streets look like because of this. You, you know how in America, we look to avoid the potholes. There, you look to find a smooth spot in the road. I'm, it's terrible. Do you get the picture? So what does an appetite for God look like? It looks like two young men in their early 20s who rode a one-speed bicycle to church. Four hours. Amen. Did you get that? Four hours, two young men on a one-speed bicycle on cobblestone roads. Somebody give me a cushion. I mean, if you had never ridden a bicycle on rough ground, they did it. That's what hunger, that's what appetite looks like. And yet we go in our comfortable zone and never even let this book be opened to shine a light into our life. Number two, we talked about you had to have a proper attitude toward God's word. So as soon as they got in there, uh, the nation of Israel said, hey, this is what we want. The walls are built. Call the priest, man. Let's hear some Bible. He read five hours, Dawn, uh, dawn to lunchtime, five to six hours. He read God's word. Y'all check it. They tell me a preacher can't really preach about 20 minutes because the, the, the attention span of most Americans is about 20 minutes. I go about 45, okay? I think it's because most of y'all are afraid I'll call you out. The reason you're afraid, because I will, okay? Now, now here's the thing. They, they, they said, Ezra, read the book. And he began to read the book for five hours, and they amen. They put their hands up, they stood up, they bowed their knees, they, they put their face on the ground. They had the right attitude toward God. And yet here we are in America somebody raised their hand during church. He said, What that guy got a question? You know, what's he doing with his hand up? You say, Amen. The guy next to says, Bless you. You know, it's okay. To respond to God's word when it's planted in your soul. When it reaches down past that calloused part of your heart and touches that spot. And you say, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips among unclean people. People. That's what Isaiah would say. Why? Because God's word is true. The Bible says in Isaiah 40, the grass withereth. The flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. It is a true and living word, and it is designed and, and, and breathed by God to impact your world and change your life. That leads us to part two of this message, which is point number three. Now we have to have a willingness to be awakened. Tell your neighbor, elbow him, say, Wake up. You have to be willing to be awakened. God's Word will not go anywhere where it's not welcome. The Spirit of God will not penetrate a place where it's not welcome. He'll come. He'll show up. You don't want it. He'll he'll keep moving. Okay? So here's the Word of God. You have to be willing to be awakened. Beginning in verse 7, I'm not reading those names. I'm saving my voice, so I'm going to call them the Levites. You're welcome to read them on your own. We're going to move on without you. The Levites were teaching the people the law as the people remained standing And they read from the book of God's law, explaining it and imparting insight. Thus the people gained understanding from what was read. Then Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priestly scribe and the Levites, who were imparting understanding to the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all people had been weeping when they heard the words of the law. They had been awakened. The word of God had pushed through all of the noise, all of the fog, all of the stuff in their world, and it cut right down to the core and awakened them to the place now they're mourning. When is the last time you had an encounter with God that made tears roll down your face? When is the last time you had an encounter with the Word of God that crushed your spirit and made you feel so unworthy and insignificant Before such a holy, righteous, perfect, enormous God. It's supposed to be that on a regular basis. Many of us say, well, that happened to me when I got saved. Well, that's great. We're not supposed to be like Israel living in the past. We're supposed to be living in the present. And I'm telling you. As a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as a pastor in this church, God wants you to experience him in an up-close, personal, fresh encounter way and not live on something that's happened in your past. Amen? It's true. He wants it for you. Tell your neighbor, wake up. Now, The Levites were descendants of Levi, obviously. They were the priestly nation. Some were priests. Some were assistants in the temple doing the the, the rituals of the temple. And so they began to read almost like small group. They would teach them the word of God. And in the moment that they did that, they were awakened. Now, in the Bible, I shared a minute ago, Isaiah said, man, when he had an encounter with God, he said, man, I'm an unclean man. I mean, fear set in. In the New Testament, Peter has a, an encounter with Jesus where they fished and Jesus said, hey, put your nets back out on the other side. And Jesus, he whistled for the fish and they all jumped in the net. Peter says this, he says, he says, I, he fell at his knees and he says, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. When you encounter the truth of this book, it will give you a keen awareness of your pitiful, sinful nature. See, we walk around with our spiritual heads raised high like I got this together. Man, I'm living better than the next guy, so I must be okay with God. Our standard has become one notch down from who we are. When in reality, our standard is this book, and this book is Jesus on paper. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we read further, it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father. This is a picture of Jesus. This is what this is all about. You can't read a book in here and not find Jesus. If you do, read it again because he's there. It's all a love letter. I shared with, with the people of Brazil this truth about this word. The two pages we have, because this is where hurt comes from. Where does hurt come from? And you know, It comes from, one, we have two pages of creation, and it's in bliss and perfection. Man and woman, naked and unashamed, walking with God in the garden, beautiful and perfect. And then it fell because the, inner, the enemy showed up. And he spends the rest of this book making right what we messed up on page 2. It's all about Jesus making things better. And so we have to be awakened by the Word of God. When he moves into our seared, calloused heart and he breaks it and tenderizes it and pierces it now, what's next? What's next? What's supposed to happen next? Point number four. We have to make a choice now to be admonished by the Word of God. So in the depth of our brokenness, when God's Word just kind of works us over... I'm looking for a show of hands. Who's had a moment in time, maybe it's your salvation, a moment in time when you had this awareness, man. You're like, I just now realized how pitifully sinful and unacceptable and unworthy I am before the God of perfection who created it all. Anybody ever had that? I want to tell you, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. But this is the beauty of God and his word. You read it. Time after time after time after time. God says, you need me. You can't bring anything good to the table. I love you anyway. You deserve death, hell, and the grave because of your sinfulness. But the rest of the story. So when you read God's word and it just crushes you, be admonished. In other words, be challenged and encouraged to keep reading. Because on the other side of a broken heart, God provides healing to a hurting world. Tell your neighbor, it's going to be okay. <clears throat> Sometimes we just need to hear it's going to be okay, you know? It says in verse 10 now, He said to them, Go and eat delicacies and drink sweet drinks and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11 Then the Levites quieted all the people, saying, uh, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not grieve. So all the people departed to eat and drink and to share their food <coughs> with others. And here it is, to enjoy tremendous joy. To enjoy tremendous joy. In the brokenness where God meets them in their sinfulness and says, Whoo! you need me, you are without me, you are sinful and undone, but I love you anyway. He says, now I want you to pick yourself up from the brokenness, keep moving forward, because there's healing on the other side of the hurting. There's a place where I will meet you, and I will let you enjoy tremendous joy. Now, that's good news. That's good news. Now, he finishes up, and he says, for they had gained insight in the matters that had been made known to them. So, so. The problem, what's the problem? How do we not pursue that? How do we not get that? How do we live in this world where we don't experience tremendous joy? Because as Americans, we pursue happiness over holiness. See, we always pray these things when in reality the things we're praying for are so God will provide us some form of happiness. And God is okay with you being happy, but he's more concerned about you being holy. So what we do is we pursue happiness, which is an emotion that's caused by an external input. You run into a circle of a friend, and this guy tells you a funny story. Happiness sets in because of this external input. You go to the hospital and you have your first baby, and you your second baby or third baby. They're all the same, and you look at them and man, you just this external input, seeing this beautiful baby, all of a sudden moves you to happiness. You, you all these things are external. Meanwhile, holiness is deeper and richer and fuller than happiness. And this is where joy is found in holiness. And holiness is motivated from the inside. When you pursue God and his best for you and his word of truth, when you're pursuing holiness, joy begins to swell up inside of you. And then no matter, listen to this, no matter what external influence comes into your life, joy will emerge. Now, what does that look like? I was honored to stand, I don't know how many times, six, seven times, I guess, with a friend of mine. His name is Tom Bundy. I'm going to tell you a little bit of his story because this is is what a pursuit of holiness generating joy looks like in the darkest time. Tom, when he was 15 years old, he's 60 now. When he was 15 years old, he came home to find out that his mother, who was a nurse... She sang in the choir. Uh, She loved her family. She was a sweet person. She had struggles with sadness, with depression. And so he came home to find out that she had taken a bottle of pills, enough to stop her heart and her breathing, and she died. Greatest fears of a young person typically is not personal death. It's the reality of life without somebody that they love, like a mother or a father. So here's a young man now who has no mother to help him navigate through life. So he, he, he goes to uh, West Virginia on a Scott football scholarship, and one thing leads to another. Anyway, he finds himself married, beautiful lady, have two beautiful children, <coughs> grown children. His daughter's a lawyer. His son was studying at uh, a studying med school, and he was top of his class, good-looking guy, athletic, played the guitar. Uh, loved music, loved hiking, had been gotten married to a beautiful girl. And six months after he got married, he stepped into a dark place in his life. And he walked into the forest with a pistol, and he put his pistol in his mouth, and he killed himself. And so I'm standing next to a man all week long who's telling this story of a man who's walked in shoes of our worst fear, the loss of a mother, and as a parent, the loss of a child. If you're a parent here, would you not agree the worst fear you have is when you consider it as the loss of your child? Absolutely devastating to even approach that conversation in your mind. And I'm standing next to a man who experienced and walked in the shoes of both. And the reason is that in Piauí, in Campo Largo, suicide, is higher than the average rate, and so he was coming to speak into the concept of suicide and how there's hope. And at the end of his talk, at the end of his talk, before he introduced me to talk about hope, he said, in the, and he would cry during his testimony. I've I'm crying too, and it's his story. And so he says. I stand here today able to talk about this because I hate suicide. I want it to go away. I don't want anybody to experience what I've experienced. And I want to tell you, I can have a smile on my face because I've experienced hope and joy that's bigger than the depth of my sorrow. And then he wants to introduce me to preach. I'm like, I got nothing to say, bro. I got nothing. Jesus loves you. Amen. Bye. Okay. And so then I would preach the gospel. I would share my story about hope. I'm telling you, that's what joy is looks like when you find the place that you can smile in your deepest hurt and my question then is this why do we wait to land in the depth of despair before we allow joy to emerge why not start now Why not let the Spirit of God fill us through the Word of God so that we hold our head up and say, you know what, this whole world just stinks sometimes. Maybe yours doesn't stink. We'll pray for you because your stinky day's coming, okay, because it's ugly out there. And so why don't we go ahead and practice the joy because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. James 1 verse 2 says, consider it pure joy. There's some verses in the Bible I wish you would have left out because it would give me the opportunity and the reason to do what it is I want to do and not what it is he calls me to do. James chapter 1 verse 2 says consider it pure joy brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. What was that talking about? It's talking about this, a faith that has not be tested, that has not been tested is a faith that can't be trusted, okay? Your faith must be tested for it to develop into all that it is. And sometimes the testing of our faith, we feel like a caterpillar in a cocoon, okay? I mean, it's just nasty in there. We're bound to it. We're not free. And God says, you hang on, and I'll bust that cocoon open, and out will emerge a beautiful butterfly. The question is, will we let him and allow him to do that in our life? So throughout God's Word, He tells us to hang on because He has something else in store for us. And we're admonished to press on. So maybe you're here today and you're in a hard or difficult time. Maybe your heart is broken. I want to encourage you and tell you, it's going to be okay. God is waiting on the other side. I promise you. Because He cannot lie. And that's what He says. For those who will hold on, He will be waiting on the other side. Number five, the last thing we read in here is that we must have a commitment to the application of the Word of God. See, often what we do is we hear truth. We may even embrace truth. We may call it what it is truth. We may say, that's good. But often we don't apply it to our own life. See, it's a problem all over the world. It's really a problem in America. When people have addiction in their life, maybe it's a substance, alcohol, drugs, maybe it's a mental thing, maybe pornography, maybe relationship, whatever the addiction is, we pray, God, please take that away, please take that away. And in that moment, we feel like God really takes it away. We, do, we surrender it to him, he forgives it, and he begins to make us new and set us free there's a problem. The reason we have that in our life, maybe it's anger, whatever it is. The reason we have that in our life is because there's a void. And that void, at some moment in time, because of the way we're wired, uh, it, it, it satisfies a void. That thing comes in. and It's, it's why I, I, I have no desire to be addic- addicted to pills, but many people are. Their, their proclivity, their sin choice is pills. I have no desire for that. There's people who drink all the time. I I don't have a desire for that because that's not my sin choice. But the enemy watches, and he looks at your void. He looks at your search, and he provides opportunities to fill that void. And when one hits and it comforts the hurt, then all of a sudden, it's a stronghold. So then one day we, we feel so bound by that. When we're liberated from that, we pray, God, please take that away. And he says, I'm willing to take it away. I'm willing to forgive you. I'm willing to start you all over again. Yes, I've been freed. But there's still a void. And unless we fill that void with God's word, there will still be a void. And you can mark it in your little journal. It's just a matter of time. If that void is unfilled the enemy will bring that thing into your world and it'll jump right back in there and you're under that stronghold once again. This is what fills the voids in our life because in it we find the truth of who God is, the reality of who we are. The, 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 the story of God's love for us in our broken condition, the story of redemption, that he wants to make it all good, that he wants to draw us in close, man, and just hug us and love on us and let us experience what life is all about. It says here in verse 13, on the second day of the month, the family leaders met with Ezra the scribe and together with all the people, the priest and the Levites, to consider the words of the law. So they're reading the word. This is in verse 14, now they discovered written in the law that the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month and that they should make a proclamation and disseminate this message in all the cities and in Jerusalem. Go to the hill country and bring back olive branches and branches of wild olive trees, myrtle trees, date palms and other leafy trees to construct temporary shelters as it is written. Verse 16 says, so the people went out, and they brought these things back, and they constructed temporary shelters for themselves, each on his roof and in his courtyard and in the courtyards of the temple of God and in the plaza of the water gate and the plaza of the Ephraim gate. So all the assembly which had returned from exile constructed temporary shelters, and they lived in them. The Israelites had not done so from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. Now watch this. And everyone experienced great joy. What was the key? God simply gave them what seemingly was an insignificant task. He says, okay, you got your wall done. The gates are hung. You're protected. You've been delivered. I want you to demonstrate your faithfulness. I want you to go out and gather up sticks and make you a little lean-to, a little stick hut. And I want you to stay in there during the festival because I want you to remember, just like Israel who was delivered from Egypt and delivered to the promised land, they camped out for 40 years. They camped out. I want you to remember. And all of the people did the simplicity of the insignificant task Of building a little stick hut why would God ask them to do something so meaningless as a little wooden hut I mean why not go do something great he just did something great now he wants to test them in the small things to find out if he can use them in the greater things and I want to tell you what we do as Christians what we do as a church often we want to move from big thing to big thing to big thing When in reality, Jesus says, if I can't trust you in the small things, I can't trust you in the big things. And I believe right now, He's inviting us to a place where we simply do the small things. Because I think God wants to do a great thing in the life of this church. I believed it since the moment I drove over here. And He's doing a great thing. But we have to be faithful in the small things, we have to be faithful in this book. We have to be faithful in our prayers. We have to be faithful in being in community with other believers. We have to be faithful in being uh, regular attenders, faithfully attending. We have to be faithful in giving. And when when we're faithful in the small things, you just write it down in your book. In the future, he will meet us and he will do great things. So I got to tell you what this looks like in reality. We were in Brazil and uh, God planned for us to have a visit with a lady who had three children. God loaded us up and we went 5,000 miles to experience the beauty of God changing a life through His Word. My life is forever changed because of a lady in Brazil Rachel was with me I hate that everybody wasn't well I hate y'all wasn't there you had to be there I call him the mayor of the town we had a guy who got saved him and his wife and they just want us to they, they, come on let's go over here now let's go over here man you got to tell them about Jesus he's all excited and he's like that the way that culture is they just walk right in the house there's no door let's walk right in the house start pulling chairs out in the yard took us over to the house went, he went straight in the house started pulling their chairs out in the yard he said, "I want you to talk to these people." She came out there and she sat down. She had two sons and a beautiful little girl. And we said, "We're here to talk to you about Jesus." And this little woman had a smile that was radiant. It was, it was like it was angelic. I'll be honest with you; it was angelic. I've never, I've never, my whole life, I've never encountered anything like this. She's just, she's a smile man all over her face. And uh, she said, I, I've heard about Jesus. We said, oh, you have it." She said, yeah, the Catholic Church brings a little statue of Mary around, and we pass it from house to house to hopefully get a blessing from God. And Rachel, I know she didn't mean to, and she said, do what? And then she said, oh, I've never heard of that before. She, she smoothed it out. And she said, yeah, they pass around a little statue of Mary. And, and so we talked to her about, we don't believe you have to go through Mary We believe Jesus is our corridor into the presence of God and she said yeah I believe that too she said somebody gave me a Bible written in Portuguese and she said I needed it because I was in a dark place my whole life and we we just leaned in because I'm telling you God was on had his hand upon this woman she had really dark skin and she said her whole life she was called ugly names because she had black skin And she was unaccepted, and she was unattractive, and she was considered ignorant because of her skin. And she was a heavier girl. And she said her whole life they called her bad names because of her weight. And so her whole life she had been rejected and she hurt every single day. Listen to this, and she said that somebody gave her a Bible why I don't know she went over and she started reading the gospel of John and she said Jesus told me that he loved me and Jesus told me that I'm supposed to forgive all those people who hurt me no preacher no witness this word and she said so I did I forgave them all I love them all he's been making me free and and I'm just like we came over here to talk to you and then she said this I'm still not free to leave my home because I've always felt so bad about myself I've been suicidal and I wouldn't leave my house I send my kids to school but I won't leave my house and so I took my chair I pulled it right up in front of her I said I didn't say her name because it's it's Claudiani. I said, I, I want you to know something. The God of the universe sent us 6,500 kilometers, 5,000 miles to look in your eyes and tell you that God loves you beyond what you can imagine. And you're a beautiful person and we love you too. Rachel, is that not one of the sweetest moments in, in, in my life? I certainly, I, and she just kept smiling. And I said, now, I believe God wants you to leave your house and come join us at church. She said, okay. That night we had a church service because it's so blooming hot. They meet at night and we had an outdoor church service. And and I was looking and couldn't find Claudiani. Found all these other people, the rest of them we visited, they all there, but couldn't find her. Right before I went up to preach, I looked over and there she was, grinning from ear to ear. She had emerged from that dark place. Why? We had a little impact, but all we did was put an exclamation point on the truth that's found in this book. So that was on Sunday night. We invited her to come to the celebration service at the new church on Tuesday. So Tuesday night, service came, and we're up there singing. I told you they made us do everything. and We're up there singing. It's terrible. And I look out there. She's on about the fifth row. And one of our team members had her little girl climbing around on her. And I preached my guts out. I'd lost my voice totally. During baptism, God whispered and let my voice come back. And I preached my guts out, didn't I, Rachel? The service lasted three hours. It wasn't all me. But it was long. They're hungry, all right? At the end, they asked me to do communion. Oh, let me back up. At the end of my message, I shared the gospel and presented an opportunity to receive it. Right there in her seat. She stood up, and she received Jesus into her life. Now watch this. I know. She wasn't alone. There was about 70. We got saved that night. But watch this. God was still in the process of liberating her from her past. And so at the end, we took communion. And I told them what communion was. It's a symbol of remembering of what Jesus had done. And they all were coming forward. But I noticed Clagiani was not getting up. And I thought, why is she not getting up? And then one of our team members turned around and he, and she said, para, para, para how do you say that word? That this is for you. Para, para voce. That's what she said. Kind of. <laughs> it means this. This is for you. And she walked out. She came down there and she took communion with us. And I share that story because it wraps beautifully and ties a bow on the truth of Nehemiah 8. That whenever God's doing something great, what we must do to maintain our posture and position moving forward, to continue not going back to where we came from, but moving closer to where it is he's taking us, we got to get in this book. I'm calling you out I'm encouraging you and I'm challenging you to read this book and if you have never been a part of God's book start in the gospel of John I always tell people that I hadn't even thought about this I always tell people that that's where she found the truth that set her free I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes I have a simple question for you before we move any further and that is this simply The most significant question you'll ever answer in all of your life. Has Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, come into your life to set you free? Have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ, making Him the Savior and forgiver of all your sin? Making Him the Lord and Master of your life. Because if you haven't, you will never walk in the freedom that God wants to bring you. But if you're here today and you feel like you need a relationship with God through Jesus' Son, that's the Holy Spirit impressing that upon your heart. And if you're here and you think you need to do that today, I would invite you while heads are bowed and eyes are closed to simply put your hand up and say, That's me. I need to receive Jesus into my life. It tells me, I want you to look up here for a second now. When I do invitations, It's an opportunity to receive Christ. And and in a a crowd like this, in a church like this, we do it all the time. And I understand most of us are born again. Most of us are saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that's good. It's really good. But there's a problem. Where are the lost people? Where are those outside of the gift that you say you've received? Where are those people that when we're saved, we are to have a burden and a passion for? You don't have to answer because I know where they are. They're out there. And if you're truly saved, you're on commission to reach them. So, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? It's time we get serious about reaching a lost and dying, hurting world with the amazing love of Jesus, God's son. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word of truth. We thank you for the part that hurts. We thank you for the part that heals. We thank you, God, that it's all true forever because you cannot lie. God, I pray upon this church that we would begin to be students of your word not just on Sunday morning but every day we would pursue your truth God you've made it simple for us in the New Testament Jesus you said there's one great commandment and that's to love you and to love others like we love ourselves that's our ultimate commandment and we've been given an ultimate commission to go into all the world here and afar telling people about the love of Jesus help us be about our Father's business I pray that you would anoint this place and do amazing things moving forward just like you've done in the past and greater and we pray it in Jesus name